Uh, hey everybody, my name is David Beats, and I'm with uh, Plan Grocery and uh, I'm here today with Kevin Anderson uh, with Kevin R. Anderson Consulting uh, who uh, also works with uh, a site check, is that right? Yeah. And uh, I've known Kevin for what, probably over 20 years, years now? Yeah, easy. Like Whenever way back when he didn't send a bad. So. Right, yeah, yeah. So that's been a while and you were at Bilo. Mm -hmm. I think at the time and 17 and a half years right yeah okay yeah yeah and um and i think you did a lot of customer spotting market analysis why don't you just tell us a little bit about kind of kind of your history and, and kind of how you got into the industry well like a lot of people i got into the industry by accident i was looking for a job in like consumer research after i got my mba from northern michigan university plug plug go wildcats um <laughs> After that, I was looking and looking. I wasn't finding any job in the field I wanted because see, I wanted all the University of Michigan grads or you know the Harvard or in little Northern Michigan University. I couldn't compete against that. Right. And I was a good student, but I wasn't a great student. Let's put it that way. Right. Okay. So I was looking for a job, and I came across this guy named of Howard L. Green. Mm -hmm. He was over Troy, Michigan. And what I didn't know at the time, he and David Applebaum were some of the founders of the. Uh, analog methodology for sales forecasting. Okay, okay. So I came across Howard completely by accident, and Howard said to me, well, I got a technician's job I think you would be perfect for. Right, yeah. So little did I know he was paying slave wages, but, you know, you have to learn the rope somewhere, right? Right, right, exactly. So I started off at Howard Green, and one of the things we did was the old method of taking customer surveys or customer origin surveys or spotting surveys we call them mm -hmm. we used to have these what we call the gray hair battalion these old ladies who you see in the supermarkets doing the sampling we used to have them out there you know putting dots on the map asking customers where they're from and everything and trying right. to locate them on the map one of the key things i remember about that is about half the people can't pick their house out on the map <laughs> right right yeah yeah you probably you would think, that too. You would think yeah. that they would know right and you know yeah. through that evolution working at howard green working with supermarkets and various other retailers like uh, was laid off in the Great Recession of 1986. Six. Okay. Okay. Right. right. And then I mm -hmm. had to get a real job. So, lo and behold, Bible Supermarkets down in Melbourne, uh, South Carolina, was looking for an analyst who was skilled in the supermarkets and other things. So, okay. Like, that's when I started working for Bible. And 17 and a half years later, I was laid off from them and I started my own business. Okay. Okay. Kevin O'Reilly okay. Consulting. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. And Howard Green was related to Gene Green that worked at Eden's in Iraq. Right? Yeah. Was it his uncle or Howard, some... Howard Green? It was his uh, nephew. Or his nephew. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because okay. Jeff then, Howard's son, Jeff Green, what, and Jeff Green and Eden's were right. cousins. Yeah. Okay. Gene Green. Yeah. Yeah. Gene yeah. Green. yeah. Yes. They were okay. I see now. I see now. Okay. Okay. Oh, very cool. Well, six good. degrees well, of, I've learned yeah. there's six yeah. degrees of separation throughout the world. You know, right, yeah. right. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody's everybody's connected somehow. Um, well, as a so as a real estate developer, uh, well, well, what maybe just tell us a little bit about your clients. Are they mostly um, developers or are they shopping center retailers? As far as number of clients, it's very one of my bigger clients is Virginia Community Capital. They're okay. working with this whole problem of food deserts and I'm working with them trying to find solutions to the food desert problems within Virginia, namely in the cities of like Lynchburg, Newport News, okay. uh, Roanoke, uh, there's one more, Danville, Virginia. Right. We have done studies and used to see if a smaller 
box uh, grocer will work in an area or a specific area. And if it meets the criteria of, you know, being a food desert as put forth by the FDA. Okay. They're okay. one of my bigger clients. And then, you know, cross-section of developers throughout the uh, country. I did a project for uh, Columbus, Georgia, where I was uh, looked at the downtown area. Okay. And then I also looked at a few other developer uh, projects. One was in uh, Scottsville, New York. Mm-hmm. One down in Somerville, South Carolina, okay. and okay. quite a few in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So it's pretty varied. It keeps me on my toes, keeps me going out and seeing various parts of the country. Right, yeah. It's a fun part of this job. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun just getting out of the office some and seeing some of these markets and, and seeing kind of what's happening where. Um, so as far, and as far as food deserts, that's interesting. We actually do have one client um, out in... Uh, it's Oak Cliff. The neighborhood's called Oak Cliff, and it's kind of southwest of Dallas, Texas. Yes. And uh, they're 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 kind of bordered by a like a I think like a railroad track and a golf course, kind of like an old golf course and some water. Um, and then they have a lot of people that just don't have access to transportation, and yes. so they they really are trying to get um, access better access to a grocery store. And I find that's the key right there is what you said. They don't have access to transportation. Right. Yeah. All these supermarkets are opening up all on the periphery and you know to build a 50, 60, 100,000 square foot supermarket you have to have population there to support it. Right. Yeah. But what's yeah. happening is, is to do that they're moving out farther farther out in the suburbs and they're leaving these holes within the marketplace. Right. Yeah. And these people who live there generally are lower income may not have a vehicle available or may have to share a vehicle with the neighbors and go out and do their shopping trips right now. Right. And that's why it's so important to do these food desert analysis because mm -hmm. it gives them some place where either they can shortly, short time frame to get there on a bus because usually bus schedules aren't convenient for food shopping either. You know? Right. Either yeah. you're waiting around an hour at the bus stop for a bus to show up and your ice cream is melting or you know you're right. on the bus and you have to wait an hour to get off at your stop and your ice cream is still melting right something that somebody with a car who's had a car their whole life never even thinks about no exactly you know, like, I mean, yeah. we take it for yeah. granted you know mm -hmm. and Absolutely. some of us with four cars in the family because we have teenagers you know even more so but, right uh, mm -hmm. right yeah yeah exactly exactly well cool well that's that's pretty neat um well, maybe you can walk us through a little bit of a maybe a project um, where you learned something interesting. I think you mentioned uh, Newport News. Yes, I did a, a study in Newport News, and it was for Virginia Community Capital. And one of the things I learned from this, or I won't say I learned from this experience, it's reinforced what I knew prior. Mm -hmm. So it was was that the site the store have to match the location. Right, yeah. This again was a food desert. It was an older shopping center. I believe it was called the Southside Shopping Center. Mm -hmm. We're pulling it up on the map right now, I do believe. Yeah. Right south of the expressway. There we go, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you look at it, it has great access, and you do a, like a three mile radius around that, if you could do that. Yeah, for yeah. Um, Viewers, and even though if you're not viewing that, Podcaster, they'll tell you what the population is anyway. Yeah. Is so a three-mile ring. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. All right. And you see a very stout population base of mm -hmm. about forty-five thousand people. And it's not a growing area; it's an area in decline, as most of these areas I worked with are now. It's about losing about half a percent to one percent. 
an annual. Mm -hmm. Lower income area, but average household income is about 44,000. I think the median is about uh, either uh, 39 to 40,000. So right, okay. It's not, okay. there's a lot of food stamp business being done at this location, but the only thing they had a for a supermarket within, say, walking distance for the people who live like within a mile uh, are just convenience stores. Okay. That right. do not offer any fresh vegetables or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So if you could take that ring and drop one mile, let's see what the differentiation yeah, is. Let's see what the one is here. It's right there. See, yeah. it's still about 13,000 people. Mm hmm. And, and even lower, even lower education as well. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you drive the area, and there's a lot of unemployment in here, and it's mm -hmm. a lot, of, like I said, food stamps, uh, public assistance here. Right. Yeah. But even with that, at thirteen thousand, and you figure about twenty thousand or twenty dollars per capita, mm -hmm. that is still a lot of business to be done. There's over two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand within a one mile radius right, right so that so that's twenty dollars what per person per week yes to spend yes, it sir. on food okay okay gotcha and then so there is an existing supermarket there it was named i forget the name off the top of my head mm -hmm. it was doing about ninety thousand a week he uh i don't want to say he ran a poor store mm -hmm. But he didn't give all the attention it really deserved. Should right. I put it that way? Yeah, yeah. It was dirty floors, dirty cases. You know, there's a lot of repairs that need to be done to this thing. No capital has been spent on this store for, I would say, since it's opened, you know. So. Right, yeah. So the idea, the city was a partner with the developer on this, and they said, uh, we'll go in, we'll tear down the building, and then we'll build a new 26 to 32,000 square foot store. Mm-hmm. I did the sale forecast and I came up with about a 150 to 160 forecast. I don't want to give the exact number right. because it is confidentiality yep. involved here. Mm -hmm. But what happened after that, when the original guy who was going to run this dropped out of the picture, mm -hmm. and the new fella who used to work at a more upscale grocer decided to go in there and take over the project. And he made some mistakes on it when he put it up and you know, the mistake me and another sales forecasting team made where we didn't redo really the forecast when we got, you know, the final uh, schematic of the, how the store would look, oh, okay. how it would okay. be laid out. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being a little bit too upscale for the area. And why I say that is because it made it look like it was like a expanded fresh market, if you will. Right, right. Very nice for a great layout, but when you do this in some areas, the problem you have is you lose your price image. You right. end up becoming that higher price guy in the market, and there are no higher price, higher income people to support it. And, it, and it's probably hard to, to get rid of that image once you have that image. Well, once you got it, it, it sticks yep. to you no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. you know? So, for example, what I found out from some of the post-mortem work we have done, that when he opened the store, he had on sale six packs of Coke. Right. Or six forty-nine. I'm not sure if that gets hacked, but you know, you get the idea. Mm -hmm. Went down the street, you could buy from a convenience store for two fifty, and you could go to Walmart three miles away and buy six 
a case for 640. I mean, so right. that really impacted his uh, price image for the store. So he hasn't recovered. Now they're looking at a new retailer going to take over and uh, hopefully with the relaunch of it, they'll get the price image back that they need to be they, successful in the store. To be competitive in that market. I yeah. mean, I, yeah. I guess some of the other things where he didn't have his uh, WIC program in place before he opened the store, and that kind of hurt him a little bit too, you know. Right, yeah. Especially in this area, it's, your SNAP and WIC is very, very necessary. Yeah, so. yeah. Why not have that running on day one? Exactly. Right, yeah. Okay, okay. So, so a lot of times a great, you know, good location sometimes cannot overcome you know, bad fundamentals, you know, somebody, somebody yes. is just poorly running a store. It, it's or, like or playing basketball, you know, if right. you don't know how to pass the ball, you're never going to win the game. You know? Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, we see, um, I mean, there are a couple things planned in here. I think that they um, recently did a, uh, a new Lidl up there, and I think there's a Kroger planned. Um, let me turn off this existing... Let's say um, off here and zoom out a little bit. Um, so yeah, so it looks like Lidl and Kroger are kind of active in that area. Uh, I think there was a Sam's planned up to the north. Um, yeah. I mean, the big gun in this area, if you will, is like anywhere else in the country is Walmart. Walmart does right. a great job in this area, giving the right price point for their clientele. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're pretty successful in this area, if I remember correctly. Right, yeah. And there's quite a few locations. There's a Walmart neighborhood market. Mm-hmm. And they're all located within the, uh, but they're all located to the north of the site, so. Yeah, yeah. So there's a neighborhood there. Looks like regular Walmart there. And south of the Vito, um, where the yellow uh, orange right mm -hmm. there, that's a super center right there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you see, it kind of rings the whole area, but again, as we talked about the problem with food desert is people don't have any, a way to get it to the store. Right. That's easy. They have a way to get there, but you know, it's a public transportation problem for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes wonder if you're better off just giving them gift cards to Lidl and just or Uber, a Lyft or uh, what is the other one? Uber? Uber, right. Uber, Lyft. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. right here. Yeah. For shopping, boom, going in the back. And maybe it's a cheaper solution on the long run, you know. But yeah, uh, you kind of wonder how that's going to change things over time. Yeah, I think it will. Far. I yeah. think it will, but yeah. I think they're hitting a rough spot right now. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I I use it a good bit when we go to conferences and stuff like that. I've even used it when I've had to drop my car off to have a repair made and they need to keep it all day. I just, you know, Uber back to the office real quick. And um, Uber has, what is that, with the food, with the restaurants? Yeah, Uber, uh, was it Uber Deliver or Uber Eats or something Uber, like Uber that? Uber Eats. Right, yeah. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a supermarket operator. What I'm doing is I'm contacting Uber and say, hey, can you do delivery for me? Because right, I don't exactly. know what to do, you know? Yeah. If yep. you didn't want to have a lot of backroom investment or back office investment into the whole situation. Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um well, a lot, you know, one thing that not a lot of people talk about kind of in our industry is getting grocery store volumes. Um, and that's obviously incredibly useful whenever you're doing a new site. Yes. Um, you know, is, is there what, you know, what's the, what's the hardest thing for you about estimating a volume? It's usually trying to take into account the local area and the operator there. Because mm -hmm. there's sometimes where you think, 
you walk through a store and you're walking through usually between the hours of eight and five. So right. you're not really seeing the busy times, mm -hmm. but you can take certain cues. You know, if you're walking down the grocery aisles and you see vacant shelves, you know, there's, or, you know, they're face forward on the shelf and there's only one or two cans behind us. Right. So okay. Okay. You know, that's a big clue so that if that it's, store. If it's not going very deep and they're just putting a bunch of cans as close to the edge as possible and trying to make it look full. That's called right. facing up the product. So okay. once, they, okay. once you're facing that and it looks like they're facing it on just the height. Right. Or if you look back there and there's big box, cardboard boxes there just to keep, you know, you from putting too many things on the shelf. Okay. okay. That's, that's a good right. clue that the inventory is along that store and you're keeping it well because they need to make the payments, right? So right. Yeah. Usually when you mm -hmm. see that, the store is probably doing well under 100000 a week. Okay. Okay. No, another thing is, is that when you're walking through any of the perishable departments, look at the level, the depth of the produce that are in there, how well it's stacked. Okay. Again, like I said about the cardboard boxes, what is called the clamshells or the U-boats, some people call them, are they're styrofoam uh, containers that you put food in there. Okay. Bit, right? Right, yeah. If they're turned upside down and stacked up high, and you put apple, one row of apples on it, makes it look like a very high presentation. Oh, I see. There's only like, like one or two. One row of there. Right, right, so, right. So right. that's yeah. another way you can kind of fool the customer. I shouldn't say fool the customer, but right. not put as much product out on the shelf and still make it look like it's full up. Because okay. this is particularly evident when you uh, walk through, like, hate to call out any one operator, but you know, sometimes bio will do that if you right. want to. Since we're in the area, we'll pick on bio. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you walk through a bio and all of a sudden you see all these holes on the shelves or things that look like looks good, but when you look closer, odds are that store's not doing well. Anymore. Right, so, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. That makes sense. But then some of the other side of the coin, if you walk through like, uh, well, let's say Whole Foods, right? Right, yeah. You see, they they have certain standards they have to keep to. One of them is they have to keep a lot of fresh product on the shelves, no matter how much they're making, right? Right. They're not going to do it to the detriment that they lose a ton of money, but they're also going to do it because they have a firm belief that if it looks good, it'll sell. If it keeps right. looking good, it'll turn over. Yeah, yeah. And that's another way. You look at the, like I said, retailer for Whole Foods for them, you and I know from attending conferences and everything like that, that they typically probably do between a small store, maybe five, lower volume, higher volume, maybe about 750, 800. I mean, they do pass stores right. well over a million a week, but you know, just for sake of today's conversation, let's say certainly 50,000, you can tell which one are doing which, especially in the supermarkets like Whole Foods that offer extensive Takeout or HMO home meal replacement, okay. HMR, excuse me, right. home meal replacement. If their bars are all full, food bars are right, yeah. full and all that, and people are sitting there eating, you know, a higher volume. Then they're, then they're going to be even a higher volume, um, you know, Whole Foods than maybe another one. Yeah. yeah, where you don't let, where you don't see a lot of people eating in there or taking stuff out, and yeah, from from the bars. And another good key is say like you're walking through the. Uh, store and it's five o'clock you see like only one or two registers open as right. opposed to five or six mm -hmm. you'll get the idea that you're trying to cut back on labor if you're cutting back on labor you're cutting back on labor for a reason 
and that's because you're not doing the sales. So right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh, mm -hmm. Doug Munson from MTN Group, over right, in Salt Lake City, and I were talking. He says after doing this for over 20 years, you can almost walk in and start telling them what you're doing. You know, right, right. Just because you've seen yeah. enough of them and yes. you've done enough volumes, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No, no for the mm -hmm. standpoint from a developer saying I'm trying to get a look at a site, they should always walk through each and every one of them supermarkets that are out there in the market because right. they may not be in the retail business but each one of those locations are competitors to the proposed site. Yeah. Right. It's going to take away, I mean, it, it, there's there's going to be some amount of volume there that, that'll, right. And if it takes away from traffic from your main draw, main retailer, it's going to take traffic away from your ancillary tenants. And if I remember correctly, you make your most money out the ancillary tenants yeah. as opposed to right. the major anchor. So you want to protect that anchor as much as possible. Right, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So so if I'm a real estate developer and you know, I think I want to have a, a Publix or a Whole Foods anchored center some at you know at some point, what at what point do I start working with you kind of in this process? I say it should be tiered. Right. Um if you come across the site and you're driving down the road and you say, hey, this would be a great location. Right, yeah. That's when you call me and say, Kevin, I'm looking at, you know, North Main and South Main, between North Main and South Main on Jasper Street. Right, okay? yeah, okay. First rule of thumb you can do is, like you would do if someone called you and do a three-mile radius. See just what the population Look at some basic demos, look yeah. at the traffic counts. I mean, for a right. supermarket to be successful, and we always used to grew up at the adage, location, location, location. Right, right? exactly. Well, a supermarket, you might as well say location, 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 and site. You know, right, right. It has to be a good site in the sense that you have to be able to get into it in order to get with relative ease. You have to wait to get to it from throughout the whole trade area. Right. Mm -hmm. So the road pattern, road network makes sense. So Absolutely. And so yeah. what I would say is once you get to an area where you can say maybe put your free money down or get an option before you have to put any hard cash down. Right. That's right away is when you call me. And you can you you can do just a kind of a basic analysis there. And then if they get a little more serious, then you can get more into maybe looking at the volumes of the stores nearby and, and maybe doing a gravity model. Actually, the gravity right. model, when you start getting the gravity model, we report right up to model. That's when it gets expensive. That's okay. where it takes time. Right. Right. But when you're, I can usually do a, uh, like Newport News, I did that in about three days worth okay. of work. And one day was useful travel out there. So, right. Yeah. After that point, it's time to, after you get to the point where you want to put a offer down or get an option on a piece of ground, mm -hmm. that's when you should call a site location now was like me okay. because you usually only get 90 days and in order for us to work you into our schedules and everything like that we may need 30 to 60 days to get to that to get, right yeah okay okay so it's better to kind of start that process early and then if you become more serious then you do you dig a little bit deeper exactly. um kind of like just with environmental studies you know a lot of times exactly. you know developer if they're interested maybe they'll do something where they can get you know 50 to 75 percent confident you know that there's nothing really scary there and then you know if they really want to spend some money then they they do like a level three environmental or something like that and after i go yeah. to a site on location if you give me the site and i do my analysis and you want to go to an exit for me it's only a week or two week process okay to do the modeling do the population estimates estimates there yeah and then give you an idea what it would be and then that time you can go to a 
various retailers you think would be good for it. Right. Get initial interest. Okay. And you say, okay, here's the volumes of the supermarket that are surrounding this location. Right. One of the things that always bugged, you know, my old boss at Bilo was that people are, I should say people, but developers would not do that necessary first step. Right. Go through, spot the stores, give an idea of who's, who's there, what they look like, and give a range of volumes that they could be doing. I mean, anyone yeah. can make a guess, right? Yeah, which which wouldn't be that hard. I mean, not that time consuming. No, you know? it's not. And, and it's yeah. Both, it's both learning the area. But a lot of times right. you're trying to get five or six sites in the pipeline for a year so at least one of them comes through for them so they can make payroll. Probably, right. You know? right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. But but if they would spend a little bit more extra time, then it's just more likely that it's going to go to real estate committee if they mm -hmm. have all the facts that they need ahead of time. Yeah. Prior to the Great Recession of 2008, or was it 2007? Right. Know. Yeah. Bilo was hitting about 100 sites a year. Wow. When I was there, they were right. coming in, and we had on the staff of one, and that's me, and right. plus some consultants I used to screen area, and plus we had some online tools that we used to screen area. Right. Yeah. But, you know, 100 sites, if you just send in a say, hey, I want you guys to look at this location, X, Y, and Z, right. and didn't do any supporting documentation, honest with you, that went to the bottom of the Right, yeah. right. Because you can only, it, it takes you so long to get through all those. I mean, you can only exactly. look at so many sites, you know, a week. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. and when you go do the in depth, it's about maybe a site and a half to two sites a month. So. Okay, right, right. Well, so if you do have a site, let's say that you have a site and it's a little bit green as far as demographics go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how much population do you really need for a grocery store? You say, or let's say like an average Publix. I would say at least about twenty-five to thirty-five dollars in easy, and that's people. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. But we are and within like a two-mile, three-mile radius. Okay. Okay. I mean, but if they're the only one in like a county seat town, like uh, Pickens, that's a good example. You know, they probably do a little bit less or a little bit more. Right. You know? Okay. Okay. So you would look at that number of people and think each person there. So Publix is usually in a little more higher end kind of areas. So you would think maybe forty dollars per person. Usually, I've been using about fifty-five. Fifty-five. Okay. If you're above okay. the median of the state, you know, the state of South Carolina is again close to fifty thousand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're yeah, talking about right. a fifty-five to sixty thousand dollar per cat. I mean, uh, excuse me, median household income. Then yeah, you'd be about fifty-five to sixty dollars per cat okay. on a weekly basis. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That's cool. And then that's. Those are numbers that you get from, what is it, PCW or PC? Yeah, David Rogers David from Rogers. DSR Marketing and uh, I forget where they, Naperville, Illinois, right. or something like right. that. Yeah. And he does a program, it's Excel based, $495. Okay. It's a cheap program and he updates it every six months okay. with the consumer expenditure survey. And, and that's comes by a block group, right? Or, or, or whatever you put into it. Or whatever you put into it. If you do a three mile ring and you have the demographics for that three mile ring, you can put it in. You can pull it in that way. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think we've talked some. Um, I work with that data a little bit, but not nearly as much as you have. Yeah. And I know we talked some about different ways that we could be working with With that. anything, there's going to be error, right? Any right. kind of data collection or data analysis, there's going to be some error. But Mm -hmm. PCW, since they use a consumer expenditure survey and a few other diary surveys that are out there, they try to narrow it. And you remember, when you're talking a larger area of a county versus, you know, five or six block of trade area, 
Right. The error is going to be greater in the five or six block block group trade area than it is for a county because you know I forget the guy's name now. Rule of large numbers, you know, as the right. sample size starts increasing, the error rates start decreasing. So Mm -hmm. Okay. It's been about 30 years since my stats class, so I'm sorry, forgive me. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, so what, I guess, what trends do you see happening now in, in grocery store developments, I guess, you know, just across the U.S. or just the... Are, 15 years ago, it was all yeah. bigger than better, right? Okay. Everything you saw came off 50, 60, 80, 100, 110,000 square feet. Right. I can tell about... Say about 2005, I think 2008, then all of a sudden we started saying, hey, we don't really need to be this big because, for one thing, you have to know how to run a big store to build a big store. Right, yeah. People who do that well are Wegmans. They do it better than probably anyone else on yeah, the Yeah, their stores are really amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you walk in at Wegmans and you can almost guarantee that store is going north of 100 or one and a half million a week. You right, know? right, yeah. It sucks to be the Wegman family. <laughs> but uh, and then you look at the uh, process that goes into it though I mean it's not just about throwing stuff on the shelf right right mm -hmm. it's about making sure everything's up to a standard making sure the sandwich the meals go to sandwich bar hot they got a carving station there that when I'm traveling through an area I love to get out like this because of carving station you know? right yeah yeah and the sushi mm -hmm. bar and everything are up to a standard that is very acceptable to the customer right right mm -hmm. so that's why they do the business and they have a great group of employees out there you talk to any employment employee they're happy to be there yeah and you can find an employee <laughs> yeah, you can usually exactly. work around and see somebody you can talk to you're not just wandering around forever exactly, for exactly. right yeah so i mean we had the bigger is better now we have this movement to a smaller it's cuter or whatever you want to call it but right. we started to shrink our store sizes mm -hmm. because it you know in urban areas there's less property available right but in other cases, it's like we're starting to get to the point where we're trying to figure out what our companies can do with the square footage there is, you know? Yeah. By that, I mean some companies are better. Foodland's a good example. They came to realization the 35,000 square foot footprint is their best box for them to operate. Right, right. Especially the way they operate, right? Mm -hmm. Where some other supermarkets, 50,000 is a good uh, median square footage. And then, you know, you have the Wegmans, the uh, Walmart Supercenters, the right. HEBs, and a few others, you know, Winco's, Outlast, you know. Mm -hmm. so, but we're seeing a trend towards a smaller supermarket. Small Sometimes we, we, we want to say a superette. Mm -hmm. And it's being driven a lot by, you know, Aldi coming into the marketplace, building the limited assortment stores. Right. And lately, uh, Lidl is coming into the marketplace. And, you know, I, I made a comment on LinkedIn about... I saw that, yeah. That, you know, because <laughs> their CEO realized that, oops, we made a major, we made, we made a little mistake here. Right. It's kind of like you look at the locations that you're selecting, and you and I talked about this at length at one time. That yeah. They look like B and C locations. They're building 36,000 square feet, and they're not even doing any research on the markets. You know, it's kind right. of like, yeah. why are you locating here? Why don't you go... Down the road where there's a vacant box, tear it down and build it up. I have heard they want to have a strategy of purchasing their own property. Yeah. I think, they, I think they did that with a lot of their first sites. And I um, think they're going to pay for it because they're saying, yeah. oops, we're in a B and C location. These areas we figured we would do 300 plus a week on, we only have one store doing 300 a week. And I think that's in Greenville. Right. Yeah. Off of Wade Hampton. 
All the rest are half of that. Right. So that's why they're pumping the brakes. And another thing is they built, what, three distribution centers? Right. They have three, maybe open two and have one one more in the ground. That's a lot of capital investment for taking a big risk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't found anybody that's, or I've had a lot of people question, try to figure out why they're doing, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. You know, what, what is their strategy? Nobody's ever really okay. been able to figure out exactly what their location strategy is, or if they have one. It seems to me that in the past 20 years, European companies that come to the U.S. make the same fundamental mistake that mm-hmm. we shop similar to Europe. Right, and right, we and we don't. Right. We're, mm-hmm. we're not shopping on a daily basis. Our houses have huge refrigerators and freezers, and we're happy about it, right? Right, yeah. We yeah. do grocery shopping as a pain in the ass, not an event, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And then in Europe, I took a trip out to uh, the Netherlands, Amsterdam, with Aldo one year, and mm-hmm. we were trying to get them to figure out how to use a gravity model for their area. Okay. And it's a totally different kind of customer. It's right. very small daily trips. Small fridges, almost like dorm room fridges, if you will. In the right, right, yeah. And they just don't have a lot of, they don't stock up like we do. Right. So their stores can be smaller. You know, their stores are roughly about five to 10,000 square feet, and that's it, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're doing great sales per square foot, but the real estate cost is more expensive. So. Right, right. And those folks are over there doing a lot more daily trips, a lot yeah. more daily trips to the store. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's all walking, it's all bike. It's all public uh, transportation. Mm-hmm. Where in the U.S., it's you know, if you don't got a car, as we discussed earlier, you're at a disadvantage. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You're back into the food desert. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned we talked a little bit about gravity model earlier. Could you just describe a little bit about kind of how how gravity model works? First, let me yeah clear up a misconception. It's called gravity model, but really it's a spatial interaction model. Okay. You probably went to food talks with David Hoff. With right, Lisa. exactly. And he yeah. always he always hated it called gravity. He always said it needs to be a called a spatial interaction model. Right. And yep. since the guy he's the guy that wrote the damn things, I think we should honor he, he call call it. It. That's right. That's right. That's a good idea. But gravity yeah. model is basically I shouldn't say basically, it's actually a complex system, but once you get the hang of it, it works really well. Right. What it does is it has this basic tenement that larger objects i.e. supermarkets, mm-hmm. will attract over a greater distance than smaller objects. Like, okay. you know, so what do, how do we, do we do we measure size in supermarkets? Obviously size, you know. Right. So a Whiteman's should pull from a larger distance than, say, a Harris Teeter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one fal- frailty or fallacy of a gravity model is that it treats everyone the same. You know, right. the demographics don't come into play. The uh, the offering from the stores doesn't come into play. Okay. So everyone's vanilla, right? Everything's all, which worked good for up till about uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Then we had a lot of differentiation within the supermarket industry. We had on the lower end, we had our Walmart super centers that offered great price, great selection. Right. Then on the upper end, for and I'm talking specifically to the Saltines, we had the uh, Harris Teeters, mm-hmm. and lately the Wegmans of the world that offered a group. Now Wegmans is the in the sweet spot because they offer actually halfway decent price point, similar to a Walmart. Right. Yeah. 
but he offered uh, amenities and offerings of a Harris Teeter. Like a Harris Teeter or a Whole Foods. Or Whole Foods. Right, so yeah. they can draw yeah. through a, a huge area. Right. And he kind of hit the uh, one thing to everyone, one store for everyone, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like concept. So that's that's the whole thing that felt um, the falling down, if you will, with the gravity model. But we can get around that. And how I've learned to get around it is instead of having, we talked about block group best sectors within trade areas, you almost have to throw that out the door. You right. have to say, okay, use individual blocks as mm -hmm. sectors. And for our listeners that do not know what a census geography breakdown is, it usually goes, what, regions, US, super regions, sub regions, right. states, counties. Yeah, tracks block groups then blocks, blocks. yeah and the mm -hmm. blocks is the smallest area you can measure from the census geography which is critical because it gives you population right right yeah and unfortunately they only give you population there's no income no none of the ethnicity stuff that we really need to dive into to see the fit between our supermarkets right but we can get it usually at the block group level so we just apply it to all the blocks yeah okay Okay. Oh, very good. Interesting. Yeah. So, so it's almost like there's two slices of pie. I mean, like you've got your volumes, uh, you've got your square footages, and then it's almost, you know, and then you've got your um, expenditures per week, you mm -hmm. know, which um, I think we mentioned that was like, what, around $55 or so per person, like, like in a public type market. So it's almost like these stores are pulling from two separate pies. I mean, one might be like a uh, a low to middle income, income person, and the one might be like a high income person. Yes. I mean, can you, can you, can you split that out between people in a gravity model or is it all, are you, you just kind of balance it based on the data that you have? We're fortunate for the most part in this part of the country. There's some areas that are not as easy to do. Maybe right. Louisiana where bad neighborhoods are next to great neighborhoods. If right, you know, right. you know. Well, yeah, and you have that in Columbia too. Yeah, you do. Really nice well, we can put in yeah. kind of like barriers to travel there I and see. make sure that the ease of trend or ease of Access isn't as great for on one side or the other. So okay. if you have a supermarket in a lower income area, a uh, we can make it so the customer from the good area, right? Instead of being one mile like it is in straight line distance, it can be two miles, so it automatically drop his market share. Okay, okay. So there's ways to to balance tweak it, it, yeah, to, to tweak it and, and again, barriers, right? And that's why I said it's an easy process, but it's a hard process. Okay? Right, easy yeah. process. You can have anyone go in there and balance a model with like that. But the hard process is reviewing the market share by distance, reviewing right. whether this supermarket should pull higher from this trader, I mean, this neighborhood or should pull less. There's a, there's a certain art to it. There is. Yeah. It's art and science mixed together. It mixed together. Yeah. And you know, yeah. the uh, grabbing models I use are SAM, Site Allocation Model by SiteTrack Research Group. And it's specifically got its, it's very good at estimating fuel sales. Mm -hmm. which are different than uh, grocery right. and Sites Plus by Jim Puffer and Gravitech Development Company, which is very specifically calibrated for supermarkets. Okay. Okay. Oh, very good. Interesting. Well, what um, do you think that uh, delivery will have a big impact on new store openings in any way? I think I read an article today about Publix doing um, a special prototype um, somewhere down in Florida that's going to have a special delivery component to it. Um, but what does that mean? Yes, yeah, I don't think anybody knows yet. You know, I, I know that, you know, I mean, like I've used ship 
I've been using ship with Publix a good bit yeah. lately. And you know, you mentioned you know it being kind of a pain going grocery shopping. You know, and it's just like um, we use shipped a lot, and, and it's you know it's worked out pretty well. Um, How much you pay for the service? We pay it's ninety nine dollars a year, and then I think stuff is on average maybe ten to fifteen percent more, but it, I could be off. But I don't, I don't know for sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that that's the whole thing, in my opinion. And then we have to leave, and then we have to leave a tip. So <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. So it's I mean it's you know it's 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 definitely more, no question. I mean, for my yeah. daughter who was driving the Gypsy Cab service in Columbia for me in the last few years, I'd be right. a good thing for her to do and <clears throat> be willing to that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. You're well, 10 years younger than I am. Mm -hmm. Easy. And you don't have a problem with other people touching your food? I don't. Not at all. As long as I don't have to go in there and buy it, it doesn't bother me at all. See, but maybe that's a age that's, thing. That's an age thing, I think. Right. I mean, when yeah. you grew up, you have to go out, grab the smell the vegetables, and you make sure you get a good, don't get right. a bruise on. But for the most part, for my generation, that's a good factor or a good thing about. Uh, to, I mean, it's a, one of the questions that's always in our minds about how, how to do delivery service. Right. Yeah. So in my household, we buy from Omaha Steaks like no one's business, you know? Right, yeah. And yeah. it's kind of like, because we don't see how the meat is processed in the supermarket because it's all done behind closed doors. You know, right, stuff, right? You know? exactly, but, yeah. But, you know, we get it, you know, and we go to our local bio and we buy store, buy meat from them too, you know? And we mm -hmm. tend to like the uh, Omaha Steaks a lot better because it's more tender and flavorful, blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah. But, you know, when you start talking about meal deliveries now what are you really talking about there is it going to be for the supermarket itself or is the supermarket not going to have a store but a distribution center to ship things out of? right i was right. working with one company that was working on a method for making a convenience store gas station fuel but make it ten thousand square feet so we can have drive up people picking up their groceries from right yeah okay which okay. is a phenomenal idea because take a supermarket chain that's coming new to the market you know you may find three to five new locations say in size columbia that you could build mm -hmm. you'd be successful at but could you find another five to ten for five thousand to ten thousand square feet with drive up pickup right and fuel you could yeah. probably find that you could probably extend your market sharing area you know instead of doing for the metro market maybe 15 to 20,000 people are, say, for your trade area. Then right. you look at the metro area for Columbia is what, about 350,000? Right, yeah, yeah. So then you start looking at the overall metro market share would be in the 1% to 2%, right? Okay. So it's waiting to get it up to 10% without a huge amount of capital investment. Right. And that's how I, th and you'd have the gas and you see start helping carry the load of the uh, rent, if you will, right, yeah. distribution. You could have local wise trucks. You, mm -hmm. know? you could even fill, fill the orders at your main stores, bring it out to the satellite locations, right. for like a better thing. And then you could have a, a, a routing system that efficiently delivers it, you know, to the different places, or even to the you house. You could be on your way home, and you could right. say right down Forest Drive, there's a, a, you know, a Joe's C-Store that I, 
I love Joe's supermarkets because they're all upscale. So we go to Joe's C store, we pick up our order, I fill up my tank, and I'm out of here. Right. And it takes me 10 minutes to do all of that yeah. versus fuel alone, which would take you about five minutes. And then driving somewhere separate. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But if you could have it waiting for you, kind of where you get your gas. Yeah, and then you're not that's a great idea. having your ice cream out on the way home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, let's see. Uh, two more. Let's see. Two more things. Um, uh, do you have a Do you have a favorite book that you've read recently? Predictably irrational. Predictably irrational. I think I saw something. Yeah. And Daniel, that. I forget the guy's last yeah. name, but it really made me think about how we used to measure price in the supermarket industry. We used to have these guys go through competitor stores and do price checks on them. You know. Right. Yeah. And okay. what this brought home to me is that. Price is more than actual quantitative number. Right. Price is also about the intrinsic value that you place upon the item. Right. Yeah. And he, you know, kind of runs a lot of uh, tests on it. He also, we all believe that humans are rational people, you know. The e whole uh, field of economy, economics is based on the rational man of Adam Smith, right? Right. Right. Yeah. But, but <clears throat> rational man doesn't exist, really. Why do you drive a Cadillac and I drive a Chevy? Same platform, same car, really. Right, right. But it's you just, like the name. It's place. just something that you like about it better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's so you're like, willing to pay five to ten right. thousand dollars more for the same car I did. Right. Know? Yeah. That's, that's one yeah. of the things that always I found curious because, you know, you walk into Harris Teeter, and you walk into a bottle, same box of Cheerios on the shelf, same right. box of you know sugar pops and all that. It's not displayed any different because you know grocery shelving is grocery shelving and maybe cleaner in the Harris Teeter. I don't yeah. know, you know. But you might pay ten or twenty percent more. more in the exactly. Store. Right. So right. you know the whole yeah. idea of price boils down to number one, the quantitative number, and then yeah. the qualitative number. So right. I, I mean, recommend anyone reading that book, just to, especially in the supermarket industry, to get an idea. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. Um, and then if if you were a real estate developer and um, this will be my last question and then we'll, we'll give everybody your contact information. Um, looking at kind of, kind of the East Coast, but who would you, who would you be, you know, and not to give away anything that you've worked on, but you know, what retailers would you be targeting and kind of where would you be looking? Just very, just very general. As we general, kind of look at I, East I'd Coast. be looking at two separate things though, really. I'd mm -hmm. be looking at number one, what retailers do I think are going to fold up and die? Right, right. I'd look at those locations and try to make a move on those sites because if it's a proven location, then you can always get someone. Right. So look at look at some of the kind of more tired brands. Out exactly, there. and once um, once you clean it out, right, blow it out, then rebuild it, then you'd be okay. And then maybe you replace it with a you know a, a Whole Foods or a Sprouts or you know yeah Publix or whatever. I mean, yeah. Uh, right now we're in a. I've heard. I'm sure you read about there coming retail apocalypse. Right, right. Yeah. And the uh, chicken littles on one side saying the sky is falling, and the deniers saying that there's not a very well kind of thing. I, I'm in the middle. I'm sitting there. There's going to be a, a uh, correction, if you will. Right, yeah, yeah. It's not going to be as bad as it was in 2007, but it's going to be there. Yeah, know? yeah. And it's good for developers to. Uh, Start banking your money, you know, getting right. ready for the downtime. Downtimes that are going to come up. But you're banking your money, that's so you can just keep paying salaries, but you're banking your money because there's going to be some primary real estate that's going to be out there that 
people are going to have to declare the uh, shopping center bankruptcy because right. they're not maintaining it's not paying no money. Right? And then somebody's going to have to repurpose it and, and, and maybe go after a better retailer. And go back know, or, after the yeah. Lowe's Foods or the you know, independent or go after, mm -hmm. um, like we said before, the Wegmans. Maybe Wegmans is looking in the area and you can buy right. a shopping center of 100,000 square feet. Well, Lowe's got the whole thing down and put them in there. Right. And then just put them in. It's already yeah. zoned yeah. for it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, this has been this has been great. Um, anything else you want to share with everybody? Um, any any other kind of final thoughts or anything? Um, Always get, you know, once you even the more seasoned retailer, I mean, real estate developers out there, will at least know a little bit about collecting data. You know, right? You know, my daughter once asked me, "What do you do for a living?" And I started getting into it. About five minutes into it, she had displays book on her and I fell asleep. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Then I said, okay, what do I really do? What I really do, and you do the same thing, is we provide data so you can make an informed decision on your capital investment. That's all it really right. is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And if you cannot collect that data or you do not have the means to get that data, get someone out there who can. Right. Save yourself a lot of headaches, a lot of money in the future. You know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And have better information and that'll hopefully move your site along faster, you know, through the real estate committee process. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely. That's most definitely. Well, this has been this has been great. But what's the best way for people to reach you if they want to get in contact with you? Well, my website is Kevin R. Anderson Consulting.com, www.kevinranderson.com. And my email is Kevin at Kevin R. Anderson Consulting.com. Okay. Or Kevin at Kevin2441 at charter.net. Okay, awesome. Great. Sounds good. Well, thank Great. you very much. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for asking me. Absolutely.